there was a family that went out for a walk. They had been camping and they went out to go and see the waterfall nearby. It was a father and his three young children. The path was easy. The going was not tough. It was level. There weren't any obstacles. They made it there in no time at all. They had their quick snack. And as they turned to go back, one of the children suggested, well, why don't we go for an adventure and go back through the bush? The father, being an Eagle Scout and feeling a little bit like Daniel Boone at this point, thought, that's a great idea. I'll show them my skills. We'll make this trek back through the woods. But things got difficult fast. As you can imagine when you have three little children. All of a sudden you're making your way through bushes, through thickets, through thorns. Was that poison ivy? Poison oak? Watch out for that root. All of a sudden little Megan trips over the rock. She's a little scraped, but when she gets back up, she's going to tough it out. And then you come to the creek, and she slips again into the water. Now she's wet. That face begins to form. You can see the tears about to mount. And then, of course, the older sister comes in like a drill sergeant. Well, we have to keep on going. And then the little brother... Her, her older brother, but the, the middle child comes in and does what little brothers do best, believe me, I know, cause trouble. It's right about this point that Megan folds her arms, sits down and says, I won't, I can't, I'm not going any further, I quit. Sometimes our journey in life gets difficult. The unexpected happens. Trials come. Things seem unfair. And all you want to do is complain. You want to quit and you want to give up. That is exactly where the people of Judah find themselves as Malachi begins to speak as God begins to speak to them. You see, they've, they've been on this journey. They've come back from exile, and they're frustrated. Nothing seems worthwhile. The food isn't good. The crops aren't returning. Nothing is going their way. The evil seem to get away with everything, and the righteous suffer unjustly. They're mad because they're trying to do all the right things, and good things aren't coming their way, and the bad people aren't disregarding God's word, and they seem to be blessed. It doesn't seem right. And so we get to today's passage, which is the sixth in a series of back and forth arguments and discussions between God and the people of Judah as they bring complaint and God responds. And it's finally at this point that God responds to the question of judgment and justice. He says, well, don't you worry. The righteous will be taken care of. 
the unjust, the unbelievers. The day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. Don't you worry. But I have a complaint against you. Your words have been hard against me. And they say, how have our words been hard against you? Well, they've complained and they've lamented like little Megan. They've wanted to, to quit and give up. But more than that, they start to say that trust in God, faith in God is vain. This might not seem like that big of a complaint, but it is far more serious than you realize when you start to understand the Hebrew word for vain. See, they're, they're calling God deceitful. They're saying he's treacherous, that he's been unfaithful, that he's lied to them, he's been deceitful. That faith in God is useless. That God is not faithful to his promises. That God does not do what he said he was going to do. So why bother following it all? That's the, the question the Jew, uh, people of Judah begin to ask at this point. It's a hard question to answer. But it is, there, is, there is something to it. See, God is... God does have a response. And if we're honest, sometimes we feel like the people of Judah. We can sympathize with their plight. We understand where they're coming from. When everything falls apart and we look around and we see our neighbor who lies, cheats, and steals, who does everything deceitfully, getting away with it and getting ahead, and all of a sudden we're worrying about paying the bills for tomorrow. We understand. It's hard. It's right about that time that we start to complain. We get frustrated. We want to go off to the side of the trail, build our campfire, and start having our own little pity party. You know, things aren't fair. Life doesn't go our way. Why would God allow this to happen? And we start to complain and lament. All of a sudden, sarcasm and cynicism become our buzzwords. They are our closest friends. Nothing in this life is fair. We become bitter, angry, and frustrated. Everything seems to fall apart. Sometimes it's how we feel about our church. Things aren't going the way we want. Things aren't happening the way we want. Why aren't people coming the way that we expect and so we start to just give up. We get set in our ways. But woe to the person who comes and starts to point out our self-justifying attitude. Woe to the one who comes and points out our rationalization and the way we've given up. Woe to the person who comes and says, man, you've been sitting here for months or years. It's time to get up, to dust off your shoulders, to get off the ground and get moving. God still has work to do th through you. God still wants to work through you. It's right about that time as we hear that, that we cry back in resentment like the people of Judah. But now we call the arrogant, blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Have you not seen what the people around our town do who don't go to church? Why doesn't God punish those people? 
we're trying to do the right thing. We shouldn't cater to them. It's hard to hear this kind of message. It's hard to realize that maybe God's calling us to do things differently. Maybe God's calling us to evaluate the way we've been going. See, it's easy to fall into this trap and do the right things but start dying inside. You put up the facade. You still show up on Sunday. You still give the right amount. You show up for the minimal things you can do to to serve and still pretend you're active, or or not pretend you're active, but, but be active, but not give all you have. But inside, your faith has started to die. It's become a shell. Suddenly, your, your prayers aren't deepening anymore. Your faith and commitment to Jesus don't grow. All of a sudden, your passion and your zeal, they seem gone. It's easy to fall into this place where, where the church doors just look a little bit darker. The, the gloom seems to hang over. And you start to think, man, I've put in so many hours. I've put in so much time. We've, we've all worked so hard. Why is this happening? And then you start to give up. You start to give in. You know, people just don't volunteer like they used to. People don't serve or give like they used to. It's not our fault. It's culture's fault. They don't care anymore. All of a sudden, compromise and comfort become our buzzwords. You know, I just, I just want to feel safe and secure. I want to have my spot in my pew. I want to sing the songs I know. I want the friends and family I know to be in here. We all want that. You know, we also want those people outside of this church to be here to know the love that you have, to know the grace that we have. It's easy when the challenges come, when the difficult times come, when when changes come in culture, to suddenly sound like little Megan. I can't, I won't, and I quit. It's easy to get caught up when the things get hard. So what do you do with a child who is sitting in the middle of the woods in the brush and says, I'm not moving? You start to tell her and remind her that you love her. You tell her that she is precious, that she is your treasure. See, when we get stuck, we need to be reminded that God treasures us and loves us. That's exactly what he did for the people of Judah through Malachi. He said, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Now, the word in Hebrew that we translate treasured possession only occurs six times in the Old Testament. It's a powerful word. It's a word God doesn't bring out very often. It's one of those words that he uses to remind the people that you're not loved because you're valuable. You're valuable because I love you. See, I I chose you not because you were the biggest nation, not because you were the most powerful, the most intelligent, or the most righteous. I chose you because I love you and I have made a promise to you. God's people are valuable because they are loved. You are valuable because you are loved by the most high God. But sometimes... 
just knowing you're loved isn't enough. You know, you, you can know you're loved and, and then you still sit there in that same spot. You sit there comfortable. That's when the, it's time to take out the big guns. So when it's time to really let people know what's in store, you, you start to tell Megan about what's going to happen when she gets back. Oh, we're going to go to the dock. We're going to go swimming. You're going to be able to jump off the pier. Don't you worry, Megan. If you get up right now, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to get you the biggest candy bar available of your favorite. In fact, I'll get you three of them. When we get back, I know I said you couldn't, but I will let you stay up as late as the big kids tonight. You know, you bring out the big guns. You talk about the future promises, the hope that is in store. See, that's exactly what God does for the people of Malachi. He says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go leaping like calves from the stall. It's the same promise God gives to us. See, God promises that a new day is about to dawn. A new day is coming when darkness will be diminished, where gloom will be gone, where the tears will be vanquished. And on that day, you will stand before the Lord, your God, in resurrected beauty glorified. And that will be a, a beautiful thing. But you see, that's not all. That's not all that there is for you. See, God says that when the Son of Righteousness comes, He will bring healing in His wings. He will restore and heal what has been broken. He will, he will fix the pain and take away the suffering that you've endured for years. The tears of disappointment will be wiped away from your eyes. The, the symphonies you've missed the sunsets you didn't have time to watch will be graciously replayed again and again. That child that was taken by disease or death will come running into your arms. Those winter years of your life where your health was not what it should be will be graciously given back to you a thousandfold. See, on that day, you will be with your family and friends in Christ, standing in the triumphant choir, singing endless hallelujahs to the God Almighty who has given you new life. All of this and so much more is what God has promised is yours. He's promised this is what you have in store for you. Because when the Son of Righteousness came, he finished the journey to the end. He did not waver. He did not falter. He did not quit. When he, one of his closest friends betrayed him, he didn't quit. Despite the fact that the rest of his friends abandoned him, he did not quit. Despite the fact that his countrymen called for his death, he did not quit. He finished the journey to the end. Look again at that crucifixion scene. The sky was darkened. The Son of God hanging from a cross in between two common criminals. It looked like defeat. And in that moment, as the final breaths were being poured out of our Lord, 
John records his last words. Tetelestai. It is finished. Is this a cry of defeat? No. It is finished. This is a cry of triumph. Dare I say, if he could have, he would have raised a fist. This was his moment. Because though he went into the grave, three days later, the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings bodily from the grave. And on the last day, he will come again in glory with healing in his wings to restore all these promises to you. What hope we have. What love we have seen as the Father poured out his love for us in giving his Son. Back to the journey. See, the family finally got back. Having pushed, pulled, cajoled, and carried little Megan the entire way. And as they put her down, she ran the last 20 feet to the camp, began dancing and leaping, turned around and said triumphantly, I did it. The father laughed under his breath, thinking, no, you didn't. We did it. We pulled you. We carried you. We dragged you. We had to pick you up. Do you know how many promises I had to make that I'm going to have to keep tonight? (sighs) So why didn't he say anything? Because each and every one of us are just like little Megan. We've all been, we've all given up on the path, and Jesus came and found us. He picked us up, and he reminded us, you are loved. You are loved, not because of what you've done, but because of who created you, because you are my treasured possession. And then he reminded us of that hope that does not fail, and then he carried us back so that on the last day, we will leap with joy and celebrate and dance because all of these promises are ours. So why did Malachi give us this message? What does he have to say to us today? He's telling us to pick up the pace and continue the journey, to gather others together with us and to begin that celebration here and now because those promises are already yours. All of this has already been given to you. We wait and hope for the day we see it, but it is already your possession in Christ Jesus. All that hope, all that love, all those promises of restoration, that promise of healing is already yours. And that truth transforms us as we experience that hope and that love that we have, that gospel, that good news of what Christ has done for us and is continuing to do in us. And so may this truth transform your hope, your hearts and minds by the hope and the love we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you look at your sermon notes, the points to remember. We have a sure hope in God through the resurrection. This gives us strength for the journey. God doesn't promise it's going to be easy, but he promises he will help you. Two, sometimes we have to say the truth about where we are and state where we are, the state we're in, before we can move forward. Sometimes that's hard. It's hard to acknowledge when you've fallen off the path, and we're beginning to make that campfire. Three, it is in knowing that we are loved and that we have hope that we are transformed as God's people. And then on the back, the three 
spiritual practice for this week. The scripture focus is the hope we have if we stand in Christ. And then I invite you to meditate on these two questions. Where are the places I have quit or become complacent, even if I am still physically present, especially in our faith? Where have we become stagnant? Three, if the person I am goes on into eternity, if that that new life is the hope we have, what kind of person do I want to be? And how do I need to act today if I want to be that person? It's a hard question to wrestle with. I invite you to bow your heads in prayer. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you have given us, for the life that you have given us. We pray that you would give us strength for the journey. Help us as your people to be honest about where we are, but also to be honest with one another about the love we have in you. Let that love and that hope transform our hearts to ever be focused on your kingdom and what you're calling us to do. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.